Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. I have a book that just came out on Amazon.com called Digital Labor, The Coming Demise of a White Collar Worker. This book is talking about how software is going to be replacing knowledge workers in our industry at a very rapid pace. This book is addressed for people who are interested in the future job market and what to do about it. So please check it out on Amazon. We look forward to your feedback now. Let's go listen to the show. I'm going to give an example. There's five of us. Right now we have you, me, and Sean in the studio here. Yep. There's three of us in the studio. Jeff Bezos walks in the room. The average wealth of the people in the room is now $30 billion. Now, $30 billion average wealth represents nobody in this room. You're listening to the audio companion series for Digital Labor, The Coming Demise of the White Collar Worker with author Thomas Young and Kieran Bajwa. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our podcast companion series for the book, Digital Labor, The Coming Demise of the White Collar Worker. We're in the studio today with Tom Young. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Karen. Hey, we're taking a look at um, chapter four today, which is all about the impacts to knowledge workers. And I think the cool thing about this chapter and why people should actually pay attention to it is this is a very personal chapter. This is where I notice we really get into, um, you know, how is this going to affect people versus um, the larger, the pace of the change, uh, which is great as well. But um, I wanted to just get your thoughts on like, how is all this stuff actually important at the individual level versus the macro level? So we, we, we talk in the book about a lot of the macroeconomic indicators that get reported in the press around, you know, average wages or unemployment numbers. And we, we get underneath the covers a little bit of that, about that. But those measures are, are you know, for economists. I mean, it, it, if the unemployment rate is 5%, you're either employed or you're not employed. And if you happen to be not employed, you don't take any comfort in, in the fact that unemployment's down two tenths of a percent. You're unemployed. So, you know, we're trying to we're trying to personalize this and make this about individuals versus what's going on at the total level because even the macroeconomic indicators I find to be highly misleading. So if I say unemployment, what actually gets reported in the media is a measure called U3. It's the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out a bunch of measures, and U3 is one of the measures. There's U1 through U6. But, like, for example, if people give up looking for a job because they couldn't find one for two years, yep. they're just deleted from the numerator and the denominator, so they're not in the percentage. So they're not included at all no. in the calculation. If you um, took a job just to get a job because you need a job and pay the bills, you're employed. So you show up as a, a positive note in the unemployment. But are you really happy? Are you in the right kind of job? If average wages are up 4%, mm-hmm. but the top top third is up a lot and the bottom two thirds are down, you know, does an, an, an average uptick, is that a meaningful number? No, it's not because the top of the people are making bank yeah. and everyone else is struggling. So... It's important. We try to get underneath the covers behind this to personalize it more to figure out where people are at and move and move themselves up in the spectrum. So, again, if you're in the top five or two percent or one percent, if you happen to be lucky to be in there, 
I don't think it's luck all the time, but I just think if you happen to be there, you're doing very well. And if you're in the bottom half, maybe even the bottom 60%, and you're struggling. Yeah. No matter what these employment things that are reported around all this macroeconomics. So we talk about, about that because what we want to do is to help people elevate their game up so that they can be, we, again, we use the term the tale of two cities. It's the best of times with the worst of times. When you mesh that together, it might it, it distorts the picture of what really happening, right? Mm. So the average represents nobody. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's very interesting for people to actually take all of this on board because yeah. at some point, like you said, the graphs don't really personalize it for everyone, and there is a yeah. need to. So I'm going to give an example. There's five of us. Right now we have you, me, and Sean in the studio here. Yep. There's three of us in the studio. Jeff Bezos walks in the room. The average wealth of the people in the room is now $30 billion. Now $30 billion average wealth represents nobody in this room. It feels unfair almost. Well, I don't. It, it, whether he has 150 billion or whatever the hell he has, or 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 not, I, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, not not in that sense. What but, I'm just saying is, when you these, this is why averages don't mean anything. Yeah, it just doesn't mean anything because that, that that's a distorted view. So if you say, "Oh, the average in the room is 30 billion dollars of wealth," that's not right. It doesn't represent you, me, or Sean, and doesn't represent Bezos. And that's the problem with a lot of these macro measures. Whether it be on employment, um, wages relative to the employment, all that kind of stuff. So we try to break this down and say, look, understand that that's happening. Understand that a lot of times those kind of things are used for political reasons. You know, understand you got to get underneath the covers of that. But really, where this boils down is, what does it mean to you as an individual? Are you at your fullest potential? Is the job you have at risk in the future? How do you prevent yourself from becoming the victim of that risk? And turn it into an opportunity for you to to do even better in your career, to make better choices about what you want to do. Yeah, and I think that that's the part about it that is very exciting for people because it's a chance for people to actually empower and make decisions about their career and where things are headed. Yeah. Well, and I'll just tell you, as a practitioner, somebody who's out there trying to push a lot of these technologies... There's a, there's a huge untapped opportunity for just about anybody who wants to opt in. So one of the metaphors we use around this issue is think of a, a, the train leaving the station. And, I, and I'll, I'll say two things, and they sound like they're in conflict, but they're not. There aren't enough seats on the train for everybody. Mm. But there are more seats on the train than there are people willing to raise their hand and buy a ticket. People willing to opt in. So the train's going to leave the station with empty seats. Mm. But there aren't seats for everybody. You have to buy a ticket. And buying a ticket means you have to opt in. And on our team, we talk about opting in being a question of uh, really two dimensions. Do you have the aptitude? You have to have some level of aptitude to do some of this stuff because it's not simple things. But you have to have the attitude. And the attitude is the secret ingredient. You have to be willing to take your prior experience. You have to be willing to challenge that experience. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to put energy around that, which means if you, you can't have the energy if it's not fun to you. So you can't force yourself to do things you don't like. 
So you have to pursue things you like so you have the energy and the passion of that change. And in the, char- in the chapter, we have a book around this emerging conflict of interest between technology and labor. So as technology, this digital labor we're talking about, right. starts to encroach on jobs, you're going to see this conflict between classic people doing work and the technology. We see it all the time. This, is this bot or is this tech software going to replace my job? And the answer is yes, eventually. And you can either fight that and you might be successful for a month, a quarter, a year. It's like fighting the tide. Well, but then, so do you see people becoming highly more experts, um, you know, rather than generalist? Is that a way that people could protect themselves? Well, I think I think you have to understand where the where the technology is going to impact your job, and to figure out on the edge where you're where you can contribute value in facilitating the change. So, you know, in the chart we have this thing you you see this progression of technology doing more and more work over time, but it never quite gets to an end-to-end solution. You still need a few people to, to make it work, whether that could be a back-end support system or a front-end system that are that's people involved. And we see this, this concentration of residual labor. So imagine I have a labor framework mm-hmm. and automation does half. What's the other half look like? Because automation is only doing half. There's still half. I need people. Right. Then it does another half. Now I'm left with a quarter of residual, the analog human-based labor. Then it gets half again. Now I'm down to 10%. That 10% is highly expert at something, something that the technology couldn't do. And if you can put yourself into that 10%, you can make a lot of money. In fact, the tables get turned in a market where there are a lot more workers than there are jobs. Wages go down, mm-hmm. and people struggle. You know, there's all these arguments in the political sphere around minimum wage. That's because those kind of jobs, you know, aren't really worth whatever the fifteen dollars an hour. They don't they don't contribute fifteen dollars an hour worth of value, so it becomes a tax. But at the high end, when you get into this niche expertise, now people are recruiting and hiring. And the workers can sell their expertise at high premiums. So is this, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this before we close out, is this why we've seen the rise of the gig economy? Yeah. Well, I think because the um, you're going to see the gig economy start to focus around experts that are hard to come by. So if you happen to be an expert at one or two different things that are not, that are required, for automation to work seamlessly in an environment, but it aren't being performed by automation. It could be, uh, um, it could be lots of examples. If you can start to syndicate that work out through crowdsourcing platforms, you'll be able to make a lot more money than you would by having a job. And it puts you in the driver's seat. Right. You know, Just- I, we, we're working with uh, a company called Topcoder. Mm-hmm. And Topcoder is a subsidiary of uh, Wipro. Uh, and Topcoder has a membership of people doing gig work for uh, computer work, data analytics, and design, those three categories. And they have uh, over a million people in that platform performing work. Now, let's just say the top 100,000 are making a full-time living, but the top five or 10,000, the very top of the 
are making a lot of money, more than they could ever make in a company. And they can do they can work when and where they want, the way they want. So you get this freedom that comes from that. But you, you just don't it's not like winning a lottery ticket. Those people work hard to to, to hone their expertise. Yeah. And what I would say is the people I come across have a lot of opportunities to take their experience, study and work hard, and become expert at something that's going to be future relevant. Mm. But it's not. But this is where the attitude and the aptitude come in together. Yeah. You have to buy a ticket to get on this train, and if you don't, well, the train's leaving the station, whether <laughs> with or without your consent. And with or without any political BS that's out there today where they say they're going to do this, that's just going to delay the train, slow the train down. It's not going to change the fact that the train is leaving. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Great. Thanks so much Thanks. for your time, Tom. You bet. And if you haven't picked up the book, uh, visit Amazon. It's Digital Labor, The Coming Demise of the White Collar Worker, or visit digitallaborbook.com. Thanks a Great. lot. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen to our next episode on Chapter 5, People. Managing Labor and Retraining the Workforce.